As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Gladwell. Mike tried his coffee at Starbucks with a double latte skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. <laughs> Greetings and welcome to Starkville, now part of the Athletic Baseball Show, where you'll find great baseball talk all week long and all postseason long. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic, and I am joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, and now the voice of postseason baseball on ESPN Radio, Doug Glanville. So, Doug, usually you're the guy who's been flying all over America, and I'm the guy sitting around with my podcast mic waiting for your plane to land. Uh, this week we did it in reverse. Uh, you've been hanging around Southern California for like a week. I had to fly across the country on Monday to join you uh, in San Diego, which is why Starkville is showing up in your feed a day late this week. But it's October uh, we literally have no idea what day it is or where we even are. Am I right? Yeah, I, I, I declared the other day that it shouldn't just be like Monday, Tuesday. We should just declare it all of our favorite players. Schmidt Day, Maddox Day, Carlton Day. You know, just that's it. You know, there's no days anymore. The moon, we have to ignore the moon during this period of time. <laughs> ignore it. Okay. Well, luckily we're in San Diego and not in New York because every day would be rain day. Okay. Uh, look, we have a fun series ahead of us between the Padres and the Phillies, while the ALCS will kick off in Houston. <laughs> so we're recording this Tuesday, just before Yankees-Guardians Game 5, so we don't even know who's going to show up to play the Astros. But Doug, that will not stop us from talking about the Astros, because we have covered ourselves beautifully here. Uh, once again this week, we're going to visit with two fantastic voices of October by hanging out with the Astros two awesome color analysts, 
Jeff Blum and Steve Sparks. Uh, Jeff also played for the Padres last time they hosted postseason baseball 16 years ago, or at least the last time in front of fans. So we'll ask him about that too. But first, I, I want to get to a topic that people seem to be obsessed with right now. Uh, we're starting what amounts to baseball's final four, right? The league championship series. And uh, I'm, I'm guessing you noticed, Doug, the Dodgers aren't playing. The Braves aren't playing. The Mets aren't playing. And if the Guardians win game five, a thing that you who are listening already know, but we don't because we can't see into the future, that would also mean that the Yankees would not be playing. But the Phillies are and the Padres are, and maybe the Guardians will be. In America, um, by which I mean baseball Twitter, seems to have decided this is not the fault of the teams that lost. This is baseball's fault for creating a playoff system that seems like it made it harder for those teams this time of year, not easier. Look, personally, I don't think any playoff system in this sport is designed to have the best teams win or at least the best teams even playing in the World Series. But, Doug, you played baseball. You played baseball in October. You played for a Cubs team in 2003 that lost to a Marlins team that certainly didn't appear to be better on paper, certainly not during the season, than your team. So I'm really curious how you look at this. Yeah, Jay, I mean, I, I recognize that every format, and we've tried a lot of them in recent times, the 2020 season showed a lot under those circumstances because, of, of course, with the pandemic and having, not having fans in the shortened season. It ex- the best teams did win, by the way, that year. The two teams with the two best record went to the World Series that year. Right. And, and what it opened up, though, is a, a questions around format, like this idea of having this series as a wild card, getting away from the sudden death. Now, I was always for that. I didn't particularly like the one-game concept, even though I appreciated it from a TV you know, fan-based standpoint. I thought it shortchanged a lot when you're a sport that's kind of built on series, right? You, you do have a rotation of pitchers generally, and you're built on this idea that you know, you, you're set up for at least three games, you know, three-game series. So I thought at least the playoffs would reflect that. Of course, it's not going to be exactly with days off, travel days, and all these things, but I thought that was a better representation. I think the question in 2020 that got raised was bringing in those extra teams. You had the Astros and the Brewers, I believe, both were under 500 going into that postseason, and they made it. I feel like that starts to create the disservice to the fact that you play all these games and you should be rewarded when you play 162 games and are on top. You should have absolutely a lot of benefits for that because you've proven it multiple times over and over in your division all year long. Um, and so, you know, trying to support that. And they've, they've done good in good ways or at least come up with good systems around, well, the wildcard team who's home gets all home games. I mean, you're trying to give them something, right? <laughs> or you get a bye and you rest your pitchers, you rest people and get set up. But yes, there's going to be drawbacks to everything. But in the end, you got to you know you got to win on the field, and that's it. And three, five, seven, whatever it is, at least you got a series instead of like a sudden death where literally anybody could beat anybody. So, you know, I, I yeah, and I watched it firsthand. Padres, Dodgers, and Dodgers got knocked out. But after the Dodgers split at home, I was like, I don't know, they might be in trouble here because Padres are home and they just have to win two and be done. So. Um, but, yeah, there's a lot of discussion on it now. It's kind of fascinating. 
Yeah. You know, here's how I feel. I, I, I do understand the reaction of people. Um, as you know, I'm a huge college hoops fan. Uh, who doesn't love the NCAA tournament? Uh, in that NCAA tournament, people love the upsets. They love them. Uh, they love it if a Florida Gulf Coast <laughs> goes to the Elite Eight or even once in a while sneaks into the Final Four. But if that happens, they just want the rest of the Final Four to be, um, I don't know, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky. Or just pick your favorite three hoop behemoths. I would pick Syracuse for other reasons. But anyway, people want the Final Four to feel like the Final Four. You know, with big programs and big-name coaches. Uh, maybe two kids who might go first in the draft. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, it feels similar to me in these baseball playoffs. Because, all right, if it's just the Mets who get upset in the first round uh, or the Guardians advance or the Padres advance, America can weather that. Uh, Mets fans, they're not weathering it that that well. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Uh, if one 100-game winner goes down early, that becomes great sports theater. But when it's three teams that won 100 games, then it the reaction for people is, well, the system's all messed up. The something is wrong with the system. And my view is, I, I don't think this system that we're, we're using this year is perfect. Is five days off too many for the teams that get a bye? I, I think in a perfect world it is. Um, should baseball be reseeding after the wild card round, which it didn't do? I think it should. I, I'm not even opposed to a system that would make it even tougher for the underdogs to win. Uh, it's the it's the KBO Korea format, right, where the top seed starts the series up 1-0, so the underdog has to even win an extra game. I'm open to any of this, but I, I think here's the thing that we have to recognize. You know why this system isn't fair? Because it isn't designed to be fair. No playoff system is fair. To win your division, as you know, over 162, requires qualities of your team that are not valued by any playoff format. Best of three, best of five, best of seven, best of anything is practically a whole different sport than best of 162. In our sport, even the bad teams win two out of every five games during the season or three of every seven games. So why are we surprised in October when teams that are pretty good win three out of five or four out of seven? This has been going on for 50 years years. We've both seen, what, dozens of series where the best team doesn't win. You played on one of those teams. Uh, upsets happen because it is the nature of postseason baseball. If you don't want upsets, don't have playoffs. These games, these series have produced incredible baseball. It's October Madness, man. I I'm good with whatever that brings. Am I wrong? No, man. You're right on time. And, I mean, it's fun. It's fun. And, you know, if you wanted to simplify it, you could go back to the situation where you had two divisions and the winners, they play each other. That's it. But even then, you'll say, well, the second place team in the other division was better than the team who won the, the West. You know, you just <laughs> – so, yeah, I, I think you're setting up theater. 
and and to some degree you try to make it as fair as possible but it is a different format i mean for example how home runs are king in the postseason uh, certain things become emphasized uh differently how you you manage your bullpen how you manage things are different when you have no you know no tomorrow right these are realities that you don't face during the season during the season it's a series of tomorrows there's always tomorrow go get them tomorrow but that's not true in the postseason and of course you're going to have a different uh, approach and you're going to have different outcomes and therefore different teams that are still left standing so i embrace it i i like this format better than sudden death i do i like the series I, and, and look in the end you got to say like the padres just played better baseball over those five games than the dodgers and it's not that the Dodgers didn't have a chance. You know, the Padres bullpen stepped it up. And that's one example of, of yeah. many in this postseason. And you tip your cap. And I, But I do think over the course of the whole playoffs, you know, they might hit their bump in the road. And maybe the Phillies capitalize on another team. And to me, that's, that's what makes it fun, too. Yeah. Um, you know, Ken Rosenthal wrote this uh, the other day in the column. He wrote about the, the, the format. Uh, the answer to all of it is play better, <laughs> you know, and so, sometimes stuff happens. I, I'm sorry that the Dodgers pitching staff was in like some semblance of disarray when the postseason started. It That showed up. I'm sorry that the Braves, uh, I mean, I watched this happen, had to deal with some bad luck in their rotation. Uh, Max Freed getting sick, bad luck, you know, uh, Charlie Morton getting drilled by a line drive. Very unfortunate. I, I feel for those teams. But the complaining about this is over the top. Uh, no team is just entitled to go to the World Series simply because it had a great season. It, it ain't 1953 anymore. Uh, this, under this format, it's about how healthy you are, how hot you are, and even how lucky you are when the postseason begins. And it has always in that way. I feel like I talk about this every year. Uh, when the when the World Series ends, we're looking back and we're saying, you know, if that one ball back in the division series or the wild card game hadn't bounced the way it bounced, this team never would have had a chance to win the World Series. Every team has that. So there's an element of randomness to the baseball postseason, and there has always been one. Uh, it's true. If you have more teams, it makes it more likely to turn out this way. But that didn't just start in October of 2022. And everybody needs to remember that. But you know what, Doug? I got a really good idea. Why don't we ask Jeff Blum and Steve Sparks about it? Uh, because somehow that Astros team that they work for found a way to survive and advance, right? So let's do that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, Doug, let's bring in this week's special Starkville guest stars. We love these guys. They're so smart and so much fun. It's Jeff Blum, the great Astros TV color analyst, and Steve Sparks, the great Astros radio analyst. Gentlemen, welcome to Starkville. Good to be here. Thanks for having yeah, us. It was very great to be here. I listen. I listen to this podcast all the time. Oh, I appreciate it. We are I'm, I'm honored by that, that as well. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. You're the two, apparently. Uh, you, you know, last week we had Tom Hamilton on from Cleveland after he had called the 15-inning one nothing game in these playoffs. So apparently we're only inviting broadcasters to Starkville if they've called marathon one nothing postseason games. Steve, you were on the mic for the radio call of that 18-inning classic in Seattle the other day. How would you describe what it was like to call that one? Well, I mean... I was surprised that it was six hours and 22 minutes, to, to be honest with you. And I know a lot of fans who were watching it and, and fans that I've talked to and people I've talked to since that game uh, felt like that was a marathon. But for us, man, you're so locked in in a game like that. And you're looking at strategy you're looking to see who's left on the bench, who whose arms are still available in the bullpens. Uh, it was fun. I mean, the, the inning went by kind of quickly. You know, a lot of players and you see in those 0-0 zero, zero, ball games a lot of players tried to end it with one swing so we start to see seven eight pitch innings a lot of times but uh it was exhilarating and, and i asked ryan presley in the post-game celebration how brutal of a of a game would that have been to lose and of course seattle knows uh what that felt like but you know those are the types of games when you win man what an exhale and it feels like uh it feels like it was a real team effort and i think that's what galvanizes guys more than anything yeah, it's a we talked to Doug about this last week because he was also in the at the 15 inning game. You you don't get delirious at all when you get into hour six, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Took a you know, you know, you, you're relying on your partner. Robert Ford's my partner, <laughs> and he does most of the play by play inning. So as far as the heavy lifting goes, that was all Robert Ford. Yeah. Well, they don't let the local TV outlets broadcast these games, sadly. So, Jeff, I'm sure you were heartbroken to miss that one, huh? Yeah, that was severely disappointing. I actually uh, have Frenchie's number. So about the, the 16th, 17th inning, I texted him. I go, you're getting paid for two games, right? <laughs> you know, because you go 18 innings, you assume that game three and four, you know, you get paid for that. But he didn't get paid for that. And it, what's crazy about not being able to broadcast it is, is I went from homecoming prep to homecoming pictures to dinner with my wife to coming home and having the the homecoming party at our house and the game is still going on <laughs> you could have you could have driven to seattle come back you know <laughs> exactly man <laughs> for sure all right let's move on here and start with a topic that doug and i were just kicking around and that is all the great teams that have already gotten upset in this postseason of the 400 win teams the astros are the last one standing and I'm sure you guys have read and heard what we've been reading and hearing, all the complaining about the new format for people in L.A. and New York and Atlanta. And yet somehow the Astros swept the Mariners. So I'm curious what you guys think. Doesn't If the Mariners and the Astros could go through the same conditions as all those other teams and the Astros 
win a series, sweep a series, doesn't that say it's still possible to get a bye in the first round and win in October? Jeff, let's start with you on this one. No, I, I think you know it kind of points to the Astros for me, just in the sense that pitching is is the dominant factor in the postseason. You always hear it: pitching and defense wins championships. Of those of those four teams, I think the Astros had the best pitching staff, both starting and in the bullpen. Uh, you know, you, we talked about that 18 inning game. Josh Miller said that they probably could have gone 30 if they had to. They still had Urquidy and Javier and some big arms in their bullpen. But uh, the Astros didn't exactly tear the cover off the baseball either. Seattle Mariners pitched extremely well. It was just a couple of timely hits, Jordan Alvarez, Alex Bregman, and then, of course, the Jeremy Pena home run. But uh, it is possible, and I think that's maybe, you know, that's where the separation for the Astros is, is the pitching is so good. But there's also a there's a certain will inside that clubhouse that I think that is different from the Dodgers, the Braves. And the New York Mets is this they they have this overwhelming knowledge that everybody is against them and they want to go out there and prove everybody wrong. And that might be the the extra impetus to them going out there and, and winning in that division series where you saw some other teams like the Dodgers and Braves falter. But you're right in the sense uh, that it's going to take a, the big market teams and the Yankees and the Dodgers potentially losing in that division series to maybe uh, throw everything on its head and maybe restructure the whole situation. But the Astros did a good job of getting through that. Yeah, I, I want to talk about that uh, team everybody's rooting against thing uh, coming up here. But Steve, what's your take on this? Well, a five-game series, I, I think anything can happen. You know, the Seattle Mariners could have easily swept the Astros, had a, a couple of things not gone uh, the Astros' way, but they did, and, and, and most, mostly because of Jordan <laughs> Alvarez, really. I mean, you know, you, you have to try to figure out a way to try to pitch around it, but sometimes they're forced into situations where they have to. So uh, things went the Astros' way in that series, but I think in a five-game series – I mean, if there's one misstep uh, as far as a pitcher goes, one misstep as far as uh, bullpen management, maybe by by the manager, whatever the case may be, I think anything goes in a five-game series. That's why I think a seven-game series is uh, is a better test of who the better team is. Uh, not to say that I think the the division series should be seven games, but uh, I just think a five-game series, anything can happen. So, guys, have you seen anything? With respect to like how the bullpen is being used, and 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 the success of these teams, because one thing, you know, we, I know we're deeper into the analytics and just how to apply the matchups more than ever, but I'm looking at say the Dodgers, for example, or the Yankees, and they have all this talent, but it was always hard to figure out like, well, this guy's going to go in the high leverage situation. It wasn't like seventh, eighth, ninth. Here's your guys, and that's one thing the Padres have done, for example. And they have this. They say, okay, Garcia's in the seventh usually. Suarez. Hater, that's it, and that consistency seems to have helped them. I mean, do you do you see any challenges around that, <clears throat> particularly with the Astros or any teams you've seen along the way that are struggling with that? Right, the the roles matching up to when you're coming in versus every day it could be different. You could face you know these guys in the sixth, depending on the leverage. Well, I, I think it's about getting outs, and I think you're looking for your best out getters when you get to the playoffs. We start counting them out, you know, and you. I think it's fascinating how you really find out what a manager feels about certain players. And it's not to slight any guys, but you're looking for your best outgetters at a, a special time. And Rafael Montero for the Astros in particular right now is probably their best reliever. So he's going to get the most important outs. He's going to face the toughest part of the lineup, whether it's the seventh or the eighth inning. Uh, 
and, and so on and so on. And you start working backwards from there. But uh, I always find it a little, a little fascinating uh, that, that the bullpen usage is a little bit different in the postseason just because of the urgency and also, Doug, because of the, the built-in off days, particularly uh, able to give guys a little rest and, and a reset. You know, we should also mention that uh, the brutal weather in the East has had an impact Mm -hmm. on the ALCS where the Astros are going to play a team that that has dealt with two rainouts, absurd travel, uh, no travel day at all between the end of the division series and having to go up against a great team in Houston in the ALCS. You know, it just feels like this should be a huge advantage for the Astros. But on the other hand, they've only played – three games by Wednesday. It'll be three games in two weeks. So I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, Jeff, why don't you take this? Uh, I I think it's interesting. And Sparky kind of hit it for me with the ability to know that there's off days built in there. And again, the ALDS between the Mariners and the Astros both had roofs. Just going to throw that out there and say, hey, you know when you're going to play. You know you're going to play the game no matter how long it takes. And you can count on those off days, whereas you're seeing the Indians and the or the Cardians and the Yankees trying to figure out how to match up their bullpen. We talked about it, I think, before we came on, where it kind of favors, you know, the favor goes back in the way of the Yankees, given that extra day of rest for their bullpen, because earlier, you know, in that series in Cleveland, it was really interesting to hear Aaron Boone talking about protecting a guy like Clayton Holmes and not throwing him, you know, an excessive amount in back-to-back-to-back games, trying to protect him and give him rest. So that off day obviously gets him back in the mix and favors what the Yankees are doing. But, you know, out there on the West Coast, it was really interesting to watch how Dave Roberts manages that team because I feel like since we started to watch them in 2017, taking Kershaw out of a game early, taking Rich Hill out of a game early, he really went to his bullpen, which was fantastic in 17. The Astros actually got to them. But then you fast forward to 2022, and he was in a hurry to get to that bullpen, and that bullpen is really what let the Dodgers down in that series against the Padres, as opposed to what Doug's talking about, where Bob Melvin had a set structure saying, if we get to the sixth inning, this is who's coming in, this is who's coming in after him, and those guys were shut down, lights out. Suarez has been a great story, and then Hader figuring it back out has really done a good job of shutting those games out, but there's definitely more of a role in San Diego than there was for the Dodgers in the back end of their bullpen. That is exactly right. So glad that you that you brought this up because I, I really think that this is something that we should be talking about more. Like, get away from thinking about the format and remember how important starting pitching is this mm-hmm. time of year. If, if you're not going to get innings from your starters the way the Astros are, the way the Padres are, and the way the Phillies are, You've got to make so many bullpen decisions every game, and you've got to get everyone right or you go home. (laughs) Isn't that the moral of this postseason more than any of the other stuff that people are throwing around? Steve, what do you think? Well, it depends on your personnel. Let's let's go to the the regular season. And Justin Verlander is coming back after two years of inactivity, and the Astros have the depth to to roll with the six-man rotation almost the entire year. And you talk about – a five-man rotation and guys getting deep into the games, but to do that with six is extraordinary. But the Astros were able to do that. When you do that, you have more time to recover. Uh, you do go deeper into the ball games, probably. I know Dusty let guys go a little further, I think, on occasion because he knew they were going to have a week off, and then that's going to give your bullpen rest and, and, and have the ability to be fresh when you get to the postseason. Well, and I know that, you know, to your point, Steve, like 
a lot of the the data is showing that there's more reliever innings than starter innings the last couple of years. That's the trend. And it seems like this postseason, yeah. you know, whether Bieber or McKenzie, guys are, are going a little bit deeper. So in that game you mentioned Blummer on the on where Anderson was pitching for the Dodgers, mm-hmm. it was like, you know, you as a hitter, you're like, thank you for getting this guy out of there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you threw me a bone. Right we can't there. we have, like, we yeah. haven't figured this guy out yet. I mean it's like Blake Snell, right? Yep. When he came out in the World Series, you're like I mean, I get the I get the third time around. I understand the data, but I mean, this guy Anderson looked unhittable. He literally looked unhittable, and um, you know, so I think there's always that factor. But I do think there's maybe it's a swing or just the nature of these teams having success with starters. So I'm curious how you've seen the Astros all year in that six man rotation, and you know how you've seen the shift. Have you noticed a notable shift from the regular season into the postseason? Uh, you know, within the Astros team. Let's start with you, Steve. Okay, well, Luis Garcia is a perfect example. In the 18-inning game, in game three, uh, coming out for five innings. So he was a starter. He was in the six-man rotation for most of the year. And probably, Doug, uh, he probably averaged 93 to 95 miles per hour as a starter. And you go out there and you try to pace yourself. But to see him easily uh, touch 98 over and over and over again uh, without overthrowing – I, I think that speaks volumes to the way the Astros were able to handle their pitchers throughout the season. And, and I'm not get, trying to disparage the Angels at all, but Otani uh, it needs a six-man rotation just because of his workload and what he's used to. But do they have the depth? Do they have enough pitchers to, to really round out a six-man rotation? And that's debatable. You know, I'm not saying they don't. I'm not saying they do. But the Astros – uh, not only had the depth to be able to do that this season, they also had a guy, Hunter Brown, down at AAA who couldn't get to the big leagues for three quarters of the season uh, with a two-and-a-half ERA in the Pacific Coast League because there was no room. Yeah, and, and, and Blummer, I guess, you know, your thoughts on that. I mean, on the offensive side, you see the home run being king, right? So, um, you know, have you noticed on the offensive side any shift in the Astros kind of going into into the postseason? I, I think it was kind of fun to watch them throughout the course of the season. As much as they relied on the, the long ball and having a guy like Jordan in the middle part of their lineup, he had about a month and a half where he had one home run in 30 games, it felt like. So they they have the ability to play small ball. And I think what's great about it getting through the regular season is, of course, you're going to go ahead and put up your numbers that you normally do. But once you get to the postseason, you kind of have that shift in mentality where you, you know you're going to probably have to play some small ball type games but then you have the emergence of Jordan Alvarez. And what was amazing to me was in order to get to Jordan Alvarez, you've got to have some key at bats before him. And specifically going back to that game one, where you had a David Hensley working a walk as a rookie, you had Jeremy Pena, a rookie working at a bat, getting to one strike away from ending that game, shooting a base hit up the middle. But we're all going to remember the home run from Jordan Alvarez. It was amazing to me to watch Jordan Alvarez with all the expectation on him, provide in those situations where you expected him to provide. And I think that's kind of a luxury that the Astros have is that they can put so many quality at-bats together on you, and then all of a sudden you're going to find a dynamic hitter like Jordan in that specific spot, and he's going to be able to take advantage of it. I think that's where it kind of separates the Astros is that they can kind of break a pitcher down just long enough to get their big boy at the plate, and a mistake is made, and he never misses it, it feels like. You know, I'm still in awe of Jordan and what he did in that series. Uh, 
The walk-off homer in Game 1, that's an all-timer. That's the first time anyone in postseason history had hit a walk-off anything that turned a multi-run loss into a win on one swing. And then he goes, game-turning, go-ahead homer the next game. It just feels to me like America didn't know nearly enough about how great this guy was until now. I'd love to hear what you guys would tell America about Jordan Alvarez. Uh, you, who, who wants to start? Well, I, well, I'm going to set it up. I'll start. I'm going to set I'll, it up for Sparky real ahead. quick because a lot yep. of people don't know that when he came over to the States and became an Astro, Sparky adopted him. <laughs> I tried to. <laughs> I've tried to. Were you trying to make him here. a knuckleballer? Man. Oh, man. <laughs> no. Far be it for me to, to turn one of the best hitters in baseball into something uh, so small as a knuckleballer. Uh, he's right, though, but we all noticed it uh, right away. And it was not only the physical gifts he had, but it was the mental approach that he had, even when he was 22 years old, as far as his strike zone discipline, his pitch recognition, all of those things, the, the, the ability to hit the ball with power the other way, uh, to take a base hit to the left side when he needed to. That's one of my favorite things about baseball this time of year anyway, is it becomes a very selfless game. And uh, for guys to give him an opportunity to shine in the biggest moments. I love that. Guys are, you know, Blummer just described it perfectly. Guys are finding a way to get on base uh, for Jordan to be able to do his thing. But he's a genera- generational talent, I believe. And he's only going to get better. Only 25 years old. No, that's what it, you you lose sight because, like Sparky said, when he showed up, he's a six foot five, two hundred and fifty pound Adonis, and he comes with this you know mystique of hitting four hundred foot, fifty foot home runs, and yes, he can do that. But when you watch him throughout the course of the season, is this guy is a damn good hitter. He, he Sparky talked about the strike zone discipline, the swing decisions he makes are incredible, and. Yes, next year he's going to benefit from not having those having somebody play a shallow right field. But I really felt like Jordan was one of those few guys, one of those purebred RBI type guys that actually took advantage of the shift being played against him with runners in scoring position. Because Sparky can attest to this too. As much as we love watching him hit that big home run, he he would let that ball travel. He'd let it get deep. He would shoot balls the other way. He'd break a bat, get jammed, just kind of nudge one the other way and drive in that run. And once he got on base, he's an excellent base runner, anticipates uh, where the defense is playing, anticipates uh, scoring on every play, and he plays a great defense. But that's probably been the most fun for me is the prodigious power, but this guy is a very well-rounded ball player. Hey, Jason, I know you like a a story. Let me tell you a quick story. When uh, Yuli and Lourdes Gurriel uh, defected from Cuba, uh, they were going to hide them out, you, you know, as they do while they're trying to work out the visa papers. And uh, when they hit them out, they hit them in Haiti near the water, but in a, a very secluded hut, this a little abode where all they could do was stay there, stay out of sight, make sure that nobody else saw them uh, and eat and, and, and just wait until they were uh, safe enough to be able to go over to the United States and try to sign with a team. And they had a little walking path, and they said this little winding path that went down to the sand was the only uh, thing that they could do is getting out of the house. If they wanted to walk down toward the sand, they were allowed to do that. But that is it. Wow. So they did that for a couple of weeks. And and at one point, they went down there. And for the very first time, after two weeks, 
they saw somebody else. And for the first time it, uh, they saw somebody, it was a, another Cuban and they didn't know him, but they had heard about him. And that was the first day that Yuli Gurriel and Lourdes Gurriel met Jordan Alvarez. Wow. He was being hit. He was being hidden by uh, somebody else at, at, at a, an approximate uh, place near the island. But uh, that was the first day they met. It's That's amazing. amazing. Yeah, truly. And, and I guess, you know, you think about these stories and the fact that they're performing as well as they are performing. You know, what has Dusty Baker meant to getting the most out of these players, you know, and also just out of as people? For, I'll start with you, Blummer. Yeah, for, yeah. for me, obviously, we all know Dusty well, and we I would probably say that we all love him, too, just because of the personality and the player he was. I remember as a kid growing up in L.A., watching him play for the Dodgers, so I had an appreciation for that. And then, of course, playing against all of his great teams throughout the uh, National League Central, I got to know him and play against him and realize what he brought to the ball club. But now watching him and seeing what he's been able to do, and he came over. I mean, his first year was a very tumultuous year, not just in the sense that it was COVID. It was the you know, Manfred letter comes out. But you talk about such a calming influence and a guy who has literally now seen and done everything in the game, I think did a very good job of diverting a lot of the attention away from the players and it kind of deflected some of the negativity because Dusty's such a wonderful, positive human and wants this game to uh, to be applauded on a daily basis. But I think it's turned into a situation now. He's kind of been that paternal guy. He's pushing all the right buttons in the in that series against Seattle. I thought he had some great pinch hit. Uh, appearances by guys manage that bullpen beautifully but I think there's a lot of trust developed between Dusty and these players knowing that you're going to throw the horses out there but I'm going to sprinkle in some of these other role player bench type players and I think that's part of the appeal of Dusty being around as long as he is is he understands how to use that entire bench which is going to be so vital down the stretch here in this championship series and hopefully in a world series you know guys I know people love to hate the Astros um but when is no. it time to move on? Dusty wasn't—he uh, wasn't around in 2017. If you make a list of all the hitters who were on this team who played in that 27 World Series, it's Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel. That's it. And yet people act like five years later they're still banging on trash can lids every game. So, Steve, should the Astros still be that team that America loves to hate? It might be good for the game, right? I mean, I, I think the Yankees uh, held that mantle for such a long time that everybody loved to hate them because they spent the most money and people resented the facts that, that they could buy championships. But I, I think in sports, you love to hate a team and you love a rivalry and it, you love uh, to love your team uh, sticking it to somebody that, that you don't like and, and things like that. So. Uh, they've they've had to deal with it, and, and I know it's it's been especially hard on uh, all three of those players that you mentioned, as far as Bregman and Altuve and, and Yuli Gurriel. It's been tough, man. It's it's been a tough three or four years, especially with the pandemic and and going to spring training where where you see little kids boo you, <laughs> and uh, for whatever reason, I mean, it, you know, we understand why why they're getting booed, and, and it's not to take away from the fact that they did something. Uh, wrong, but yeah, you wonder when that statute uh, of limitations uh, becomes void because uh, they've worn it for a long time. But in, in the same vein, uh, you go into a playoff situation or, or any tough series, and the Astros going 
to New York this year or any any type of situation on the road, they're they're as battle tested as any team I could ever imagine in baseball. Yeah, but that might be the question for you guys because you get to travel around nationally, you know, writing, calling games, doing things like that. You know, how do you feel? What would it take for the Astros to to maybe get past that as far as a, a national fan base? Uh, I think Jose Altuve is going to have to retire, <laughs> something like that. It's amazing. I, yeah, this isn't rational. Is that you know we we can yep. we just I just stated the rational case for why the statute of limitations yeah. should already have run out, <laughs> but there's no there's nothing about this that has anything to do with rational thought, with logic, with details. It's about what happened then the emotional reaction that that provoked. And those things don't go away just because the the facts say it's it's getting to be time to move on. Um, yeah, well, I mean, in, well, in baseball history, you can, you can think of so many scandals that just endure. And, and it's part of what we love about the game, right? Our long memory, <laughs> but it's part yeah. of what... But I, but I also think like Dusty... Is, is such an ambassador. I kind of think if he wins, I think the grace and all the things he brings with all the humanity and, you know, empathy he has for the world and for people, I, I think that might, that would go a long way as I think to, to change the perception because, you know, here's a guy that's been in the game forever. I mean, he got his job, his first coaching job on the heels of the scandal around Al Campanis, right? And, and the comments about... Yeah you know, black candidates and, and coaching. And, and that's where he got his first opportunity. And so, and even then he speaks very positively about like what was possible from that. So I think someone like Dusty probably is, would be a huge step forward because I mean, I, I played for him and, and loved him. Uh, you know, he was a father figure, still is in many ways. So I always yeah. appreciate how he, he just loves everyone. You know, he, he's very curious and interested and where everybody's come from and wants to, and that's, that's a knack for bringing them into one family. So I do think that that will help a lot. And, um, and I know he loves Altuve and would be able to speak more on a national stage if they win about mm. who, who, who Altuve is also. Uh, Doug, I'm glad you've gotten o- over the emotional scars of Dusty telling you to get a haircut. So that's encouraging. Yes, yeah. See, I think people would feel happy for Dusty but not feel happy for Altuve. <laughs> am, I, am I missing something? Well, that's where he could lead. You know, I, I think it's it, – look, it's hard. But that is baseball, right? We, we, we hold on to stuff. I, you know, I think of my, my childhood moments, right, when the Dodgers knocked out the Phillies every single year until finally 1980 they won. I mean, that was – like I still think of like, you know, all those plays, right? So that's what we do. And, and it, on the flip side, when you remember things – it, it colors so much of your life in a, in a positive way as well. So taking the good with the bad, it, it's tough. And, uh, but and those emotions are fun. Those emotions yeah. are fun as a fan. Right, man. That's so part I, of it. I know. Yeah. It's it true. is part of it. It's the, part of the, it. the Astros hatred um, is a reason to pay attention to all these games. Uh, as you said, Jeff, it's, it's fuel for the Astros. It's a little edge to hang on to. I, mm-hmm. It. It's a, it's a part of the plot line, but the thing is, it always will. Um, I, let, let's talk a little about you guys. Uh, and one thing I definitely want to get to is, Jeff, I'm tired of people gushing over Jordan and comparing him <laughs> to Kirk Gibson because I know somebody who was doing Kirk Gibson things long before Jordan 
came along. And guess what? He's in Starkville right now. <laughs> so we're going to do this something is, This fun. is basically why Jason Stark and I are friends. <laughs> I, I remember <laughs> right Jeff Blum moments. I do. So before, before we talk about this, I, I, I need to hear it one more time. The Jeff Blum October moment. Longest game in the World Series history. Blum hits it into right down the line. It is gone. Jeff Blum, the former Astro, goes deep. And here in the 14th inning, the White Sox take a 6-5 lead. Jeff Blum gets his first at bat of this series and only his second of the postseason. Yeah, that was. I want to hear what the exit velocity was. I mean, <laughs> we, we're, like, what, we're not we're to reveal that kind of information. It was gone. It was one one fifty five at least. I mean, at I, least. it was. It was. He couldn't even finish the call. It was gone. <laughs> he didn't even get to call that. <laughs> Joe Buck described it. It must have happened, and uh, <laughs> that was Jeff Blum hitting a fourteenth inning game winning home run, game three. Of the 2005 World Series, the Astros hired him anyway, even though he hit that against them. But I, I remember looking this up at the time and emailing it to you. Uh, players in World Series history who had won at bat in a World Series, and it was a game-winning home run, Kirk Gibson and Jeff Blum. So, <laughs> Jeff Amazing. Blum, other than from me, have you ever really gotten your due from that home run? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, th- I think. What well, I mean, she's. Put it this way: he's got a statue oh, outside of the, the ballpark uh, <laughs> in Chicago. He has a statue. That's no joke. He should. He, he should have a statue. Yeah, it, it worked out well to, well to be immortalized like that. You, I mean, you talk about the ultimate secret weapon. I mean, Ozzy sat on me for about twenty-one days straight before right. he gave me that at bat. So I was way overdue to to get that swing, man. And it took fifth. What it took fourteen innings to get me in there too. <laughs> well, you know how they, you know, people manage these games now in pockets. That was obviously <laughs> going to be your pocket. Yeah. You're the fourteenth <laughs> inning long ball specialist. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm that idle threat. Yeah, I wasn't even supposed to be in that game because uh, you know the inning before I came in on a double switch, but I was standing there with Pablo Azuna, and in the top of the thirteenth inning. Ozzy and all of his glory down there in the, uh, the craziness of the situation looked at Pablo and said, get your glove. You're going to second base for a Gucci if he makes the last out. And I believe the pitcher was hitting fifth that inning, fifth or sixth that inning. And he goes, if it gets the pitcher, Blum, you're going to hit. And I said, yeah, great. So I had, you know, shin guards, elbow guards, helmets, batting gloves, <laughs> ready to go. And, you know, one, two, three, a Gucci makes the last out. So I'm kind of dejected going, man, that might have been my only opportunity and Ozzy kind of sat there and goes, uh, blown to second base. And I was like, you want me to what? I played second base the entire time I was in Chicago. And so, you know, I had to send, you know, a bat boy to go hunt down my glove. And obviously the rest is history. Wow. <laughs> Glad the bat boy found your glove. All right. Does that, of the four of us, anybody else have a statue? Any, hmm. Absolutely not here. So. Yes. In Starkville, I have a statue. I think. There you go. That's, that's about it. Yeah, I don't have a statue. All right, we, we only have one of us who's got a statue. Pretty impressive. I, that's right. Hey, Steve, I want to talk about your unique postseason moment. This was 2003. Uh, you got signed right. by the Moneyball Aids late in the season, and Mark Mulder gets hurt, if I remember right. So you're on the roster. Then... Mm-hmm. 
how do we describe this? Tim Hudson and Barry Zito gotten into some kind of little mix-up with some Red Sox fans in a bar in Boston. Yeah. <laughs> Hudson, Hudson starts the next day, right? And then he has to leave his start after one inning. Whereupon in comes right. Steve Sparks to flash some October knuckleballs. So, <laughs> That's right. so what exactly can you tell us about what the heck happened in that game? Well, it was Oakland and the Boston Red Sox, ALDS. So it was a five-game series. Uh, the Red Sox came back. Uh, the night before, extra innings, Trot Nixon hits a home run to center field off of Rich Harden uh, to extend the series. The next day, I think that night, or maybe the uh, two nights previous, uh, Zito and Hudson and some of the guys were out at a bar, and somebody had tried to pick a fight. This is just what I heard. Somebody had tried to pick a fight with Zito. Hudson stepped in. Uh, somebody started throwing a little bit, and I think Hudson just got mixed. I mean, he's... <laughs> He's a redneck, right? We all know uh, Hudson's a redneck. He's going he's to start throwing. So uh, whether or not he got injured there or not, or just strained an oblique uh, a little bit at that point, we're not really sure. But after the first inning of game four, uh, he got hurt uh, taking his warm-up pitches. So they had to uh, call down to the bullpen and uh, signal knuckleball uh, for me to come into the game. So I came in for four innings to keep the game uh, halfway close. Uh, in my only appearance in the postseason, and it was a thrill to be at, at Fenway Park. I remember the bit, the biggest thing I remember in that game was the group Boston, who I loved, uh, were playing up in the concourse, a uh, little mini concert before the game. And just as uh, they started to end, they segued into the national anthem. Whoa. And they continued to play. Everybody stood up, and the flag rolled off of the big, or the, the, uh, the green monster. Uh, as Boston continued to play the national anthem. And I, it, at that point, I thought, man, this is the coolest thing I've ever done. Yeah, little did I know about 30 minutes later I was going to be in the game. <laughs> so I know they didn't announce when Hudson left. Uh, yeah, you, uh, Tim Hudson leaving because of a barroom incident. But uh, do, do, like, do you ever think if they don't get into it in that bar, you never appear in a postseason game? Dude, it was Sparky. Yeah, in the, it I was mean, Sparky in the bar with a Boston hat on. <laughs> I, I was I was the fifteenth guy on a fourteen man staff, uh, so the, I was definitely the last guy uh, to be used. But I was the long guy, and yeah, did, uh, did I have somebody go in there to pick pick a fight with Zito? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Should I have used my wife? No. <laughs> Breaking Starkville news here. <laughs> Jeff Blum. Jeff Blum reveals that Steve Sparks instigated barroom incident in Boston <laughs> with his wife. Hey, Doug, I got to ask Steve. There's one more legendary Steve Sparks story: the phone book injury. Got to tell that. Okay, so as I recall it. The Brewers brought in a motivational speaker to spring training. Right. And afterward, you tried to rip a phone book in half. And then, mm -hmm. so how, how did that go? So good. <laughs> so for, first year at a major league spring training camp. I'd spent eight years in the minors prior to that. So uh, I was in spring training. They brought in these guys. And they were the ones uh, with the, the physical feats. They would bend the bars with their, with their teeth. They would blow up a hot water bottle. They would blow it up and they would tear phone books, all this stuff. So the story came out that I was this guy, 30 or 29 years old in, in big league camp for the first time that jumped up on stage 
and tried to tear the phone book and dislocated my throwing arm. When in essence, when in essence, what had really happened the next day, Mike Fetters and Jesse Orozco and myself were talking about those guys uh, from chapel the previous day and decided to see how they did, how they got the phone book started. And this is back when they had pay phones in our clubhouse. This is how, how long ago it was, but they had them. So all three of us, we had phone books and we we're trying to rip it and we couldn't do it and realized that there must have been a trick to it. So we're still talking and while they're not really paying attention, I'm ripping a little, I'm tearing little pieces in, in the phone book where I can get it started. And I got enough of it done where I actually could. And I stood up and guys started getting around me and chanting my name, Sparky, Sparky, and I'm ripping this thing. And I dislocate my left shoulder. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. So I go back down to the minor leagues for an entire year. Uh, the story comes out, you know, that, like I told you, that I, that I ripped my throwing shoulder and all this, blah, blah, blah. And still to this day, especially at the millennium, it was number four in the stupidest sports injuries of the 20th century. Still to this day, when somebody does something stupid, uh, they come out with a new list, and I vacillate anywhere from three to number seven in every single list. Oh and I'll God. have my college teammates, guys like Blummer, uh, idiots like that, uh, always remind me how stupid I am. Wait, you bring this well, up, Jeff? There's no more phone books. So I don't love the story. I mean, th right. think about the circumstance. First big league camp, he's been working his tail off in the minor leagues. He gets his first opportunities like, hey, guys, check this out. Oh, but, you know, I, I love Sparky to death. It's par for the course. If, if you know me, it's par yeah, for the course. I mean, that's the beauty of having a guy like Sparky around. You, you guys travel around quite a bit. But when you're in, you know, on a team broadcast and you're spending, we're basically on the same team for the last 10 years traveling around. So, as as many times as I bring up the phone book story, I'm sure there's plenty more that he brings up. So it's, there's plenty of give and take. But if I ever need to really get oh, to Sparky, yeah. I can go, hey, man, take me back to that phone book incident. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, that's how I got my first starting job in college as an outfielder. It was a couple of upperclassmen, you know, got in a little trouble and got suspended. And the coach said, well, we need an outfielder, so where do you want to play? And he said, it said center. And that was it. You know, four hits, three wow. hits, four hits. That was how I got my first college outfield start. It. So you never know. You got to be ready. <laughs> you got to be, be ready, ready don't you? you? Never know. Well, there'll never it's, be another uh, phone book injury. No. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's a good point. Oh, Google, you could do like carpal can't, tunnels. Can't rip, an, can't rip an iPhone. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you could try. Be more impressive like, if you found a phone book. <laughs> right. It's like Mount Everest. I found one. I'm on the top of Mount Everest. The last phone book. <laughs> I'm sure on eBay there's a phone book somewhere you could buy. Yep. But why? Why would you? Um, hey, Jeff, can I ask you a San Diego question? Uh, the yeah, Padres absolutely. just played postseason baseball in front of their fans in San Diego for the first time since 2006. And who was a member of the 2006 mm. Padres? Jeff Blum was. So you know well that the Padres, uh, they're one of just six teams that have never won a World Series. Mm -hmm. how, how much do you think that hangs over the city and the fan base? Um, I, I think it does a little bit, especially when you consider how much money they've spent to build that ball club. So obviously <laughs> yeah. the intent is to say that we're going out there and competing for a World Series. It's just a matter of, uh, you know, getting them motivated and getting them the opportunity to go out there and do that. But I think it you know, it's one of those things I would imagine that doesn't really come up until you get into an Ameri or to, into a championship series, 
because you know a couple of years ago everybody complained about the you know the San Diego Padres not having a no hitter and I remember my time in uh, between 05 and 07 you know there were a couple of games where you'd get to the fifth inning and there wouldn't be a hit in a game and all of a sudden everybody's going man there's never been a no hitter in San Diego franchise history and it just kind of added this mystique and this lore and this opportunity to it I never saw it until Joe Musgrove did it but I would imagine it's kind of in that same you know that same uh, idea of We've never had it, but man, if we could just get to the championship series, man, if we could just get back to the World Series, it would be really interesting. But, you know, having played there and understanding that fan base and now the Padres are literally the only thing in town, I would imagine it's going to be talked about a little bit more. So if it's Astros Padres, would that be the Jeff Blum series? <laughs> the Blum Bowl. The Blum Bowl. The, the, there you go. Yeah, Blummer Bowl. Uh, yeah, that, that would be very interesting. I mean, I've played for plenty of teams, so I mean, it could be any number of six teams that uh, get, get to the postseason. We're not going to see the Expos. We're not yeah, going to see the Expos. We can count out, like Sparky said, we can count out the Expos. I'm still trying to explain to my 17 year old daughters that I played for a team that doesn't exist. <laughs> Hey guys, if it is San Diego and Houston, what two better managers came into a situation and a clubhouse uh, to be the perfect yeah. uh, people to walk in there, right? With Bob Melvin, uh, with what they needed, I thought he was perfect in the same thing with Dusty. Yeah. Rob Thompson could make that argument too in Philly. Yeah, very true. Yeah, that's a great point. Yep. Yeah, man. Well, yeah. Well, what are you most looking forward to going forward in, in this uh, next round? For me, hitting-wise, and you guys, uh, Doug and Jeff, you guys can attest to this. I think the the hitters right now, especially for the Astros, need a little continuity. You know, Jason, you mentioned three three games in 13, 13 days for Houston right now. We could tell with a few players they looked a little rusty. I'd like to see these guys start to get on more of a routine. And I'm a hitter, much like Doug. We want to see the offense going. I agree with Sparky that – you know, it, Altuve is going to figure it out. He's too good and too talented to go in these offers for a division series. Uh, so he, he's going to get back there. But as a hitter, it pains me to say that I am absolutely loving watching some of the pitching that's going on. You know, I love the story in the bullpen with Suarez for the Padres. I love that haters figured it out and gotten the back into his bullpen going. Uh, you know, the Karinchak Classe duo out in Cleveland absolutely amazes me because, it, you know, it's miraculous that you can have a hundred plus with cut movement to it. I mean, watching that guy pitch makes my seat very comfortable. I don't know how these guys face that or how he creates that. But then having watched. You know, watching what the Astros have done with their rotation and watching Justin Verlander be an absolute freak of nature, Lance McCullers coming back looking as good as he did, uh, I, the fact that they were that good in the regular season, and it kind of goes back to what Sparky said about the six-man rotation protecting the bullpen, they are in the perfect position to have that go through the postseason. And I really want to watch them that the pitching staff succeed like they did in the regular season in the postseason because I, I think that'd be something we'd be talking about for a very, very long time about how good this pitching staff is in the history of this franchise, if not baseball. Jeff, Steve, you guys are the best. We love visiting with you. Uh, I hope our paths cross somewhere 
this October or this November or whatever month <laughs> this postseason finally ends. So, That's right. Thanksgiving tables. Yeah, yeah no kidding. If it's, in, if it's in Cleveland, it might. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks, boys. Please come back again and visit us in Starkville, okay? No, much appreciated. You guys, Thank man, you. it's an honor. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. One more great product from LinkedIn. You're there to network, you're there to look for jobs, you're there to post jobs, and how about LinkedIn Sales Navigator? It's a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash baseball show. That is linkedin.com slash baseball show for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash baseball show and get started. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Doug, you know what time it is. It is time once again for Listener Trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in this show. And Doug, for us, this is our second round of trivia in this postseason. And so why don't we recap our record so far? Let's see now. We're one for one. If we were 0 for 1, we wouldn't be recapping anything. But we're one for one. And remember, we got on a roll last October. Now we're on the right track this October. So uh, could you remind me again why that is? Because I honestly have no idea. Well, we've improved our spin rate. And I think that that's just been the critical aspect of <laughs> our knowledge. So um, once we did that, we just get it unstoppable in the postseason. And uh, <laughs> so I feel very good about our chances uh, going forward. But, you know, we only have to win four out of seven. So I feel like we are right? on the right track. Okay, I want to dispel any rumors that we have applied any foreign substances to our ear. Okay, that is not No foreign substances. (laughs) All right. All right, so we asked this week for postseason trivia. And our friend, John Fisher, who's the director of research for CBS Sports, came through. He's got a fantastic question. So let's welcome him back to try to stump us again. Fish, welcome back to Starkville. 
Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for having me again. Love doing it. Yeah, well, we are great, and we're we're even better because you're here. Uh, so, two things everyone out there needs to know about John Fisher. One, uh, Doug and I used to work with him at ESPN. He's the best. Two, he is a mammoth Phillies fan. I even ran into him at Citizens Bank Park a couple of weeks ago. Phillies are getting blown out, right? And uh, so I stopped to talk to you. Then here came Charlie Manuel. That's right. And uh, I said to Charlie, Charlie, I've had enough. It was like the seventh or eighth inning or something. And he said, Jason, I've had enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, but anyway, Fish, we just can't launch into trivia. We need to hear your take first on what the heck has gotten into the Phillies. So go ahead. Well, if you can hear my voice, I'm a little compromised. I was at game four, so a little, uh, <laughs> a little over, uh, enthusiasm from Saturday and being at the, the first playoff clincher I was ever at in person as a fan, at least. Um, they got It's the kind of thing I think that it happens a lot in baseball. It's not just, you know, this new format. It's yes. the Phillies, even though they didn't win a whole bunch of games during the regular season, the potential's there. And I know every team's got potential, but when you've got starters like that, and mashers like that in the lineup. If they all decide to, to turn it on at the same time, this is what it looks like. So I don't want to say I'm not surprised, but it certainly wasn't impossible that they would do this, it feels like to me. Yeah, Is that how this works? Who the heck even knows? Right. I, I just know you have a great trivia question. So yeah. why, don't, why don't we move along to that? Why don't you hit us with your question, man? Sure thing. So I was, I was just curious about who leads uh, all these teams in – career all-time postseason home runs and uh, I was thinking about the the teams that were left and because of the weather we still have five teams left so uh, a couple (laughs) in the AL ready to go soon so uh, if you guys want to try to guess the five players for the teams that are left uh, we got Guardians, Astros, Yankees, Phillies and Padres Uh, the all-time postseason home run leader for each of those five franchises. Okay, so Glanville already had a problem with this question. So now it's a bigger problem. Uh, you know, we were assuming when you came up with the question, we'd need four answers because there would be four teams left. <laughs> now we need five answers. I don't think this is going to be cool with my friend Glanville because he's been rebelling about having to come up with all these answers. Well, I don't know what your cutoff is, Doug. What, three, I think? More than three? Nothing good seems to come of it if we need more than three answers. So, Doug, are you cool with this question, with having to figure out five answers? Hey, look, the Padres advance winning three out of five. You know, so that just makes sense, right? If it's a series, you win three and you're in. So that makes sense. But since it's World Series, if we want to step it up, maybe four is acceptable, given that, you know, we want to be world champs. We don't just want to win the NLCS or the NLDS, I should say. We want to win it all. So I'll I'll accept four. I think that works since there'll be four teams left anyway. So why don't we just roll Uh, with that? uh, uh, Fish, what what do you think? So Glanville is arguing we should only be required to come up with four of the five answers because there should be only four teams left. I always like I always like multiple answer trivia questions because it makes it easier for me that I'll at least get one. So however you guys want to do the grading, yeah, yeah, that's up to yeah, you. Yeah, you know. I, yeah, I, th- I mean, I think all five are possibilities for you guys and won't take that long. I think you can get them. Right. I see. I would look at it this way, Doug. It's not really five answers. It's really one answer to five different questions. <laughs> yeah. All go. of which we should be able to get theoretically. So let, let's give this a try. Um, you would think all these would come from the wild card era, or certainly at least the division play era, because 
back in the day, there just weren't enough postseason games, even for the Yankees legends, uh, to get too high on this list. Uh, you know, I was thinking we could still potentially have 46 games played in this postseason. The most Mickey Mantle could play in any postseason was seven. Uh, so why don't we go one team at a time? Um, start with the Astros. I, I, well, I know this. Jose Altuve ranks, I think, second all-time in most postseason homers. Uh, Springer and Correa were close, but he has hit the most. Uh, so for the Astros, it's, I, I know it's him. So that's mm-hmm. one. We're on the same page. Yankees. Okay, mm-hmm. Yankees. I, I, I know it's tempting to say Mantle or Berra or somebody from those Yankee teams that won every year. I'm almost sure the right answer is Bernie Williams. Bernie played like 100 postseason games, didn't he? Something like that. It was a lot. I'm pretty confident of Bernie. You like that one? Okay. Uh, So that's two. Now, Guardians. This is a little tougher. I would say it has to be somebody from that era of 1995 to 2000, 2001, whatever that was. Uh, my question, I guess, is, is it Manny or is it Jim Tomey? You know, Manny's really high also on the all-time postseason homer list, but obviously he hit a bunch of those for the Red Sox. Jim Tomey didn't leave Cleveland until that glory era was in the rearview mirror. So I'm, I'm leaning Tomey, but I'm really not sure. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so because it has to be for that team, right? It's not like a player who played yes. for it, right? So, no, 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 no. So, um, right. yeah, I mean, I kind of thought Tomei. I mean, you know, who else is in that team? Albert Bell, but I don't know when he retired. Uh, I mean, Bell's Lofton. certainly another possibility. That's the only other. I just have this memory in my head of he always Jim Tomei hitting – he, we had, he hit five, I think, or six in one of those series against the Yankees I covered. Um, that's, that's, a, that's a big number to hit in one year. And then think about how many years in a row that team went. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I, I mean, I definitely have him on my list, so Tomei is pretty pretty solid. <laughs> it, it's, it's another one of those guests where if you get that wrong, nobody will think, what a dope they were. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we didn't pick right. Travis Hafner, even though he's a good <laughs> no, player. No, we didn't. Yeah, Phillies. Um, this is hard. Uh, again, I don't think it could be Mike Schmidt. It didn't play enough. Uh, it has to be, uh, I think, somebody from the 2007 to 2011 teams. And on those teams, you would think it would be Ryan Howard. But remember Chase Utley in 2009? Yeah, he hit like 13 home runs, runs in the first game. He hit. He hits. <laughs> okay, I think it was. I'll take the under on 13, but I think he hit six homers in that World Series. I, I think the answer is Chase Utley for the Phillies. Uh, you good with that one? That's what I have. I, I mean, CC Sabathia, he, he might as well have thrown the rosin bag out of me. I mean, he had no chance. <laughs> that was amazing. Okay, so that leaves us the Padres, and they're the hardest one of them all. Uh, that team just has not played in October much. So I'm, I'm thinking this would be from that era from 1998, the year they went to the World Series, to 2006. But, who, like, who would that be, Doug? It was Adrian Gonzalez? That's the first name that occurred to me, but I I think we're missing somebody. So 
I'm thinking you played against those teams. Which is a bad sign, because that means I have no idea. Uh, who, who's the Padre you didn't want to pitch to? I mean, Phil Nevin, you know, Brian Klesko. Um, I mean, Klesko was, he might have been traded later, though. He was a brave, probably, at that point. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, Tony Gwynn was obviously Sheffield or Caminiti, I don't remember when they had their glory. It just, seems earlier yeah, than they that. All, yeah, they, and they, they just, there was just limited postseason windows for those guys. But those are good, they're all really good guesses. I, I'm trying to even uh, think, like, who did they play? That sometimes helps. Like, the 898. They played what the Yankees in the World Series, they and they the got Yankees swept, didn't they? The World Series. Then they got swept. Hey, they did. They, you know yeah, they, that didn't help. They, well, who did they, I don't know who they beat to get there. I mean, that might have. Trying to think of I remember. the Braves, of course. Yeah, probably that's right. Um, man, I just Padres are tough. I mean, where's Tony Gwynn Jr. around here? Can you help I me covered out? the series against the Cardinals. Okay, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Gonzalez, second base. Who was our second baseman? Like, oh, like Kilvio Veras, you know. Yeah, and, um, yeah, well, yeah I mean, shortstop. Who played third? Is Caminiti. Uh, I'm trying to think who I tried to bunt on. He's a good guess. He's a good guess. Catcher. I'm not, I'm not, I don't have Nevin. a pro- well, You know, even P- Mike Piazza was on Piazza. the 2016. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not him. I mean, outfield. Uh, I'm just drawing a blank on their outfield. I mean, Gwyn. Greg Vaughn yeah, was Vaughn. in there somewhere, right? Mm. Mm. He already hit 50, but he had terrible postseason. Um, I, I I don't – I actually kind of like the Ken Caminiti guess. I have no idea if it's right. I'm sure it's wrong. But we only have to get four. We can we can, we can shank one. Caminiti, like when did he stop playing? Did he, was he a Padre? He was a long He was time. not on the 2006 team. And then he had some. He had a, obviously had a period with the Astros, but he was that MVP in San Diego. I remember coming out here to cover some uh, a series one year, and remember the he 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 made a throw while he was sitting on third base, and so they did a they did a thing before the game where they had like ten fans come out, sit on third base, and try to. throw a ball across the diamond, but they couldn't. Uh, but he did that anyway. We digress. Uh, just let's just let's just get somebody. Yeah, so yeah I'm just yeah, I'm just on. thinking who is on '98 and '06, and I don't know. I don't know who who did that, right? When did Tony? When, when did Gwyn? When did he, he retire? Two thousand. Yeah. He's not on the 2016. All right. No. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, Caminiti. Gosh, he must have been unconscious in '98. Uh, and Sheffield, all right, just real quick. Sheffield was gone. He's been on so many teams. Wasn't he gone by 06? He wasn't there in 06. Okay. No. All right. I can go with Caminita, I guess. I, I don't know. Okay. That's a tough one. Right, but. All right. and, I was, and the only thing uh, I was worried about is, like, Cleveland has quietly been in the playoffs all the time under Francona. So it's true. like, did anybody but, do anything? Jose Ramirez? That was the only thing I was worried about. Like, you know, they got knocked out in the second round, you know. Uh, yeah, they, the, the trouble was it wasn't like they were going deep into October every one of those years, except for a, one of them. Right, Lindor. <laughs> but Rajay Davis is not the answer no, to this question. Lindor. <laughs> it might be Travis Hafner. All right. Yeah, all right. I'll stick to it. That It's tough. Yeah, I'll yeah. stick with Tomei. Yeah, yeah Bernie. Okay. It's, it'd be amazing. Let's go, go with wow. the chalk here. It's not Jeter. Yeah. All right, okay. let's, let's get Fish back in here. Fish, I think we've got a decent handle on this, but okay. – what usually happens is we're missing somebody obvious, or we talk ourselves out of the right answer. So let's just let's just give give a guess <laughs> and get it over with. Uh, is there any chance it's Altuve 
Bernie, Tomei, Utley, and we decided Ken Caminiti. All right. Well, what? you got you said all the right names, and you got you got four out of the five. Ooh. Yes. Wow. You, you knew Altuve, you knew Bernie, and you were right. You were right on Tomei over Manny for Cleveland, uh, and you got to the right answer in San Diego. It's Ken Caminiti who hit. Wow. He hit three in '96 when they were swept in a three-game series. Helped. Ooh. Because then he Good hit job, two. Glanville. Then he hit two during we, the uh, the '98 run, and five. We missed Utley. And five is the record. So for the Phillies, it's not Utley. He holds the World Series franchise record for the Phillies. It's not Ryan Howard. It's Jason Worth for the Phillies. Whoa, Jason Worth. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I think, God, he's. I think Jason. Wow. You mentioned him quick and and kept going. Yeah, uh, he's gonna. He has, if he he has the same name. This, he has the same name. Like, he might have just right. mentioned his own name, and that's the yeah. mistakenly yeah, thought. Hit, he, he hit more home runs in October than me. Yeah, <laughs> but he hit. He hit one more than Chase Utley. Uh, wow. Just in the postseason, and Utley hit a whole bunch in that World Series. That's that amazing. Good. But Four all I know five. is that's pretty good. We got it right. That's right. We got it right. That's so right. Yep. let's think about this, Doug. We stink at this all year. <laughs> then we go two for two in October. Does that make us the Reggie Jackson of trivia, Mr. October? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we're going to be Mr. November, too. That's what I like about this. We're going to be able to capture two months of glory. Um, and I think because of our answers, I think that means it's a premonition that Cleveland's going to win um, because Tomei was you know one we pulled out early on in Bernie Williams. So the battle will go on. The best part of this segment is still to come because it's the part where we get the heck out of the way and we welcome in the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster. He's going to liven things up by playing another classic play-by-play clip involving this week's answer, and I can't guess what it's going to be. So, Tim, what do you got? So, first of all, you guys owe this victory to the rain in the Bronx because That's right. if either team had oh, won we've last got it night, wrong. <laughs> you would have said... Chase Utley, and you would have gotten uh, this No, you're wrong, you because Glanville would have negotiated it down to three of them. Yeah, that's true. But, I don't yeah, know if I might have rejected that. that <laughs> but anyway, the, the rain out happened. There was no baseball, and you got four <laughs> out of five. So congratulations. Uh, so obviously a lot of directions to go with this one. What I went with was a possibility of a recreation this year. If the Yankees win tonight after we record this, it'll be Yankees-Astros. So let's go back to a controversial one, guys. 2019. <laughs> The clincher, <laughs> Jose Altuve. Altuve has just sent the Astros to the World Series. It is anything but a walk-off home run because nobody's leaving. <laughs> and the little guy, 5'6", 168. With the heart of a lion, sends it over the wall and left for a pennant-winning home run. Amazing. Obviously, the shine has come off that a little bit, but, <laughs> you, 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 but it's you, still a good call. You realize that everybody from New York who is listening to this just sh- shut us down. <laughs> They're not going to listen to another second. Not one more second. <laughs> but, you know, it's just that's not John Fisher's fault. Fish, you're awesome, man. What a great question. Uh, it really challenged our sleep-deprived brain cells. <laughs> but we muddled through. Uh, listen, I hope I run any in Philly this weekend. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Um, come back to Starkville. 
Anytime. No problem. Great seeing you guys. Great talking to you. All right, Fish. Good seeing you, man. And if you're listening, if you're still listening, and you'd like to do what John Fisher just did and be part of this show, we will tell you how in just a few minutes. And if you're upset about that Jose Altuve clip, then don't ask us any questions in which Jose Altuve is the answer, and we won't play any Jose Altuve play-by-play clips. That's how it works. Strange but true. Doug, it is strange but true time, but I think we should do something extra strange but true this week. Uh, Since the Phillies are playing the Padres in the postseason for the first time, I think we should do a retro Strange But True. Uh, I think we should hearken back to the strangest but truest Phillies-Padres game ever. Uh, This is is so much fun. Uh, If you look at the box score of this game, it'll say it was July 2nd, 1993. But this game did not end on July 2nd because it didn't even start on July 2nd. It was the second game of a Padres-Phillies doubleheader in Philadelphia, obviously, that got delayed by rain. Ready for this? For five hours and 54 minutes. 5.54. So for some reason, they started game two at one in the morning. Started it. It was a good idea, huh? And that meant it didn't end until 4.41 in the freaking morning. And that was not even the strange but true part. The strange but true part is that the guy who got the game-winning hit was not any of the famous Phillies hitters. He was the closer for the Phillies, the one, the only, Mitch Williams. And it inspired one of the most epic calls ever by the late, great Harry Callis. So uh, this retro Strange But True segment is really just our excuse to play Harry's call. So let, let's do this. Here is Mitch Williams at the dish against Trevor Hoffman, by the way, <laughs> as the clock was ticking toward 5 o'clock in the morning. Now the stretch and the pitch. Swing and a base hit to left center field. Hank Amelia's going to score. This game is over. <laughs> On an RBI hit by Mitchie Pooh. The Bills have won it 6 to 5 and 10 on the Wild Things. RBI hit. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? <laughs> oh, how great was that? Mitchie Poo. It's the Mitchie Poo call. Oh, Doug, my goodness. Uh, you, you, I mean, Mitchie I know Poo. how much you loved Harry. Oh. How, where would you rank that on Harry's list of greatest calls ever? Well, I mean, you know, it's got to be in the top category because I don't remember him using nicknames like that in real time. I, I don't remember that. I, maybe there's other examples of it, but I think I've what, never heard him call Mitch Mitchie Poo no, before. No, since. So yes, I'm wondering if like that showed you Harry Callis, <clears throat> Harry Callis stepping out into a new arena <laughs> of uh, of pet names, which is always fun to see because Harry was a good friend to the team, obviously a great legendary. Uh, Philadelphia voice, but you know, always remembered how close he was to the players. So the fact that he let it spill over in the game, I think that's that's magic <laughs> in and of itself. Mitchie Poo will long live. 
yeah. So iconic. If you ask people to, to do a Harry call, it's stuck in their brain from that era. That one comes out <laughs> all the time. Can you believe it? Mitch Abo. Uh, so I was working for the Philadelphia Inquirer back then. It was a Friday night doubleheader. The weather wasn't good. I was not there. Um, so I wasn't there live or I wasn't even awake at 4.41 a.m. But uh, when I did a- awaken and I realized what the heck had gone on, I could not wait to get down there the next day and collect as many funny lines about that game and that hit as I could squeeze out of everyone there. So one of the people I talked to, Doug, was one of your heroes, the legendary Phillies coach, John Vukovic. And he said of Mitch... He's the greatest 4.40 a.m. hitter we've ever seen. <laughs> Nobody's ever had a better average than him at 4.40 a.m. And, Doug, that's true. <laughs> that is officially true because nobody else had any average at 4.40 a.m. And the other thing I remember about that game is that this is the best. Attendance actually increased between 2 a.m. and 4.40. So why would that be, you ask? Because all the bars had just closed. <laughs> And all the people who were in those bars with the TV on in Philly knew, hey, the game just started. Let's go to the vet. Okay, so people are streaming into the vet at 2.30 in the morning. And I, I talked to Andy Bennis. He was with pitching for the Padres oh, yeah. the next day. And he said, there were more people in the stands at 3 a.m. than we have in San Diego at our regular games. <laughs> Padres weren't quite the, uh, uh, the popular uh, people's favorite that they are this week. Okay. And I'm sure and, that was a very calm and tranquil crowd at, at that hour. Oh, my I'm sure God. they were very relaxed. And, he, he, and, yeah, and, you know, that <laughs> that team had so much crazy stuff happen to it, Doug. Uh, but did it get much crazier than that? No. I I, I can't imagine <laughs> it. But uh, it might get crazy this week, though. Phillies keep yep. running like they're running. They, uh, they hit the decibel level the other day. It was like an airplane landing in your backyard. I mean, that, that's serious. Yeah, it was loud. Loud in both, both those stadiums. So uh, before we move on, I, I do remember that you once played a game in San Diego that went 1,000 innings. You've talked about it a, a few times. What was the story about that game, and what time did that one end? All I know is at some point, all the zeros that kept going up, I, I kept thinking it was like, it was like a rising sun. There was another sun going up and another day was going by. So it felt like a day and inning. And so after about 10 weeks or whatever it was, it felt like so I think Phil Nevin hit a home run or somehow they, they beat us in extra innings. Um, but, yeah, there was, there was no offensive possibility for either team for a while. We, I, I don't know. Was it one nothing or it was 2-1? to one? It was something low, very low scoring. Uh, but, yeah, it was, at the end it was like mercy. It just ended by mercy. And, uh, yeah, and you think about West Coast and we're an East Coast team. I mean, it, it felt like it was 7 in the morning. I, I felt like getting breakfast after that game. I probably did. <laughs> okay. I, I, I did look it up as you were talking here. Okay, so um, it was 5-4 in 16 innings. 16, wow. That's pretty good. <laughs> 16. Um, let's see here. There was a yep. lot of zeros. I know there's a lot of zeros up there. Well, that's how you get to the 16th inning, right? Well, I don't know if they uh, scored, then it, we it, scored, then they scored, then we scored. It ended just before midnight, 
in San Diego. So that would be just before 3 a.m. in the East. Uh, box score says Doug Glanville went two for eight. Um, the other thing I noticed was the losing pitcher for the Padres was Bobby Jones, who had just come in in relief of the other Bobby Jones. Oh, right. <laughs> like, so oh, see how late oh, it we was. We actually won that game? You won, oh, yeah. Wow. So, I didn't even know. It, all right, if Bobby Jones came in to relieve the other Bobby Jones at 3 in the morning, were you even sure which one was in there at that point? Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. I figured it was a doppelganger. <laughs> Of, of Bobby Jones's, I think they should have had like a Bobby Jones night and just let anybody named Bobby Jones into the stadium for free. Uh, it did not. Uh, let him pitch. Just let him come from all over the world. Uh, one one little tidbit though, I did hit a home run off of both Bobby Joneses, so I have that. Ooh. I don't know if a lot. I did not in that game. Though. No, not in that game. But in my <laughs> lifetime, I did hit a home run off both Bobby Joneses. So I would like a maybe a Hall of Fame plaque or something. There's probably a few of us out there. That would be very <laughs> okay. special. Sure. You know, this. I think this became one of our strangest but truest, strange but true segments that we've ever done, and I'm good with that. Okay, that's going to do it for this week's show. We'll be bringing you podcast magic just like this all season long on the Athletic Baseball Show, which is available in its entirety, absolutely free, everywhere you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to read any of the fantastic postseason baseball writing in The Athletic by me and lots of inc- just incredible writers. We can tell you how to do that. If you go to theathletic.com slash baseball show and you're a new subscriber, it will allow you to subscribe for $1 a month for the next six months. $1. Uh, so that's cool. You know what else is cool? You can be part of this podcast. Every show we pick the most fun listener trivia question of the week. Then that listener gets to join us right here and prove once again, there's almost no baseball trivia question we can't get wrong except in October. So if you would like to participate, you can email us at Starkville at theathletic.com. Starkville has an E on the end, by the way. Or you can hit us up with those questions on the Twitter. How would someone hit up Doug Glanville on the Twitter? Yeah, you tweet me at, very simple, the at symbol, Doug Glanville, D-O-U-G-G-L-A-N-V-I-L-L-E. That's it. That's how it works. Yeah. And you can tweet at me without spelling my whole name, just at J-A-Y-S-O-N-S-T. No A-R-K is necessary. And just hashtag those questions, hashtag Starkville QS. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Jeff Blum and Steve Sparks for visiting us. Thanks to John Fisher for the great trivia question. Thanks to the mayor of Starkville, Tim McMaster, for producing us, for putting up with us, and even for playing that Jose Altuve clip. And thanks to you all for listening. Uh, Doug and I will see you next week, someday or another. On Starkville. Starkville.